It's the 2nd of July, 2021. This is the Room Now podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. This episode is called As Good As I Ever Was, stolen from the Toby Keith song, which laments being not quite what you used to be. Why did I choose that title? Well, a lot of the content that I do choose, and including this episode, leads me to believe I could be better. If only I could do this, if only I knew that, maybe you should think about these kind of reports that I give you and think about maybe how you can be better at what you do or what you say. Let's begin with a study of osteoarthritis of the knee and some data about that. This is a Medicare study, over a million uh, knee OA patients in their claims database. What they showed, now this is an elderly population, was that a third of them went on to receive knee replacement, really a high number if you ask me, but they showed some interesting associations. They showed that arthroplasty was associated with more clinic visits, meaning the sicker you are, the more you ended up with surgery. Um, They also ended up with more PT and more specialist care. That would include rheumatologists and orthopedists and even intra-articular injections. Um, They they, they also showed that... um, Therapy was associated with less knee replacement. They showed that um, knee replacements varied widely in the United States from a low of 26% in the population to a high of 42, just different regions, different rates. The interesting thing was that when you weren't going to do knee replacement, you did physical therapy instead. Hence, physical therapy was highest in those regions where the TKR rates were lowest. Uh, and where there was a high amount of physical therapy, there was the lowest number of surgeries in general. Um, sort of basic data about a very common um, outcome for our patients. So I've talked about this before. I think it's a good piece of ammunition in talking about why people should get the vaccine, you know, the vaccine for covid And that's a recent JAMA Network article where the CDC gives you the most recent data for the last flu season, where they showed flu test positivity at about 0.505% or 0.1% during this flu season, when normally during flu season, their test positivity rates are about 15 to 20%. And then when you looked at hospitalizations, actual hospitalization for influenza during this last flu season was, um, uh, it dropped to as low as 0.8 per 100,000. I mean, again, the rates were were down. The numbers in Texas was a 98% reduction in overall influenza events. And that's all from using a mask and six foot distancing. And the vaccine is what, 50 to 100 times more effective. I saw this interesting article from not one of our journals. This one was from, uh, actually it was one of our journals. It was Arthritis Care and Research, um, a higher rate of Parkinsonism in osteoarthritis. Usually when I see these association studies, I think this is fishing for p-values. You know, a bunch of data, lots of patients. Let's see what, you know, pans out as far as association. Is it real or is it imaginary? I don't really know. I don't really like to get too much into that, but I like this data because uh, this was data from the Taiwan Health Insurance Claims Database, over 33,000 osteoarthritis patients, and they were age-matched with non-osteoarthritis patients, and they looked at the rate of Parkinsonism. And overall, Parkinson's uh, osteoarthritis patients had a 41% higher risk of Parkinson's disease. So OA, more Parkinson's. 
Uh, and this was even more so in people with hip and knee OA, where it went up, went up as high as a 55% increase in the association with Parkinson's. Now, why is that important? Because I can't think of a lot of OA patients I'm seeing that are, you know, that have pill rolling tremors and um, can't stop when they're walking. But, you know, there is this big issue with osteoarthritis patients and falls and gait abnormalities. You know, there's a lot in the literature in this last few years about falls with arthritis, especially with hip and knee OA. And maybe that's something you should be considering in your patients who have a history of falls. If my patients have more than two falls in the last six months or last year, they're going to the neurologist. I don't care what their problem is, and I'm not looking for cogwheeling and, and, and whatnot, but uh, I think it's something that we should consider. I mean, certainly as you get older, the risk of Parkinson's goes up, as does the risk of OA. There should be an association there that you should look for. So a nice meta-analysis looked at stroke risk and arthritis. You would already guess that the risk of cardiovascular events and also stroke is increased with RA and PSA. Well, in this very large study in PLOS looking at like 69 papers um, that met criteria, stroke risk was overall increased in all arthritis by about 35%. But it was especially so. For rheumatoid arthritis, 38%. Ankylosing spondylitis, 49%. PSA, 33%. And gout, 40% higher than the matched population. It was not higher in patients with osteoarthritis, the non-inflammatory condition, meaning that inflammation is the bad news player. Inflammation is a bad mother. Mm -mm -mm. We have to do all we can to control inflammation for the downstream effects it may cause. Um, Nicola Dalbeth and her colleagues in Auckland wrote a really nice review of um, an, an analysis of uh, basically treat the target in patients um, worldwide. And it was really quite sobering. You know, I would have thought that, you know, most people do track, you know, um, practice some sort of treat to target and whatnot. And her data, um, 67 studies on treat to target shows that only 34 percent um, is when they're on urate-lowering therapy, urate therapy, like allopurinol, do they actually re- achieve the desired target? 34%. Everyone thinks that they're an expert at gout. This data says nobody's an expert at gout. Moreover, um, patients who are on urate-lowering therapy are less likely to have continuous therapy, meaning they often have interrupted therapy. More importantly, they have a low rate of serum uric acid testing, and of course, they don't achieve their target. Very sobering data. Um, Again, I've been yelling about this for years. Um, Most people are not good at gout. Rheumatologists could be better at gout. Um, I think some rheumatologists should only be gout doctors and hang a a shingle out saying gout stop or gouts are us and and treat. I mean, 8.3 million in America alone, that's much higher than the 1.3 million with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, you know, jack inhibitors, we talk about them all the time, seems like they have an expanding repertoire of where they can be used. And you know about its use in universal hair loss. Well, uh, uh, baricitinib has a study that has just completed. It's the part of their BRAVE AA1 trials, a phase two trial of 110 patients with alopecia areata who received either baricitinib in one, two, or four milligrams. I think the one milligram didn't qualify, but the two milligrams and the four milligrams had a significant improvement in their measure of improvement in those hair loss studies. Um, really high, highly significant um, compared to placebo. 
33% with 2 milligram, 52% with 4 milligram versus 3% with placebo. Uh, again, this is something that we're hopefully soon going to see uh, indications for alopecia areata, alopecia universalis. This is an important need for many of those patients. And you know, a lot of the other therapies don't work. And these work wonderfully well. They're magically delicious, as we used to say in Lucky Charms. If you're not from the United States, I'm sorry about that. Um, so uh, ulcerative colitis patients, um, do they get cancer? What do you think? Um, probably so. They get more colon and rectal cancer. What happens when you give ulcerative colitis patients tofacitinib? Well, a big meta-analysis of three large phase three trials with tofacitinib, and you know they get high doses in ulcerative colitis, shows no increase in cancer rates and rates that were equal to um, the cancer rates seen in patients taking TOFA for RA, PSA, or other UC patients on other biologics. So that's sort of sobering data because there's a lot right now in the news about tofacitinib. This delay in the oral surveillance study um, where the FDA has not yet come out with formal um, edicts about that or whether the results of that study, which did show a higher rate of cancer, higher rate of, uh, of death, um, in, especially in the higher dose patients, and these are TOFA patients compared to adalimumab patients with high-risk RA. Uh, again, this is delaying a lot of things in JAK inhibitor development. So, you know, this data about no increase in cancer rates with tofacitinib in UC may prove to be important in the FDA's analysis of the overall uh, portfolio for tofacitinib. Hopefully, we'll see that in the next few months. Uh, another IBD study comes from the journal IBD, um, a retrospective study of 250 uh, IBD patients who underwent magnetic resonance uh, enterography or endoscopy, uh, MRE. So they're basically getting MRs and they could look at the SI joints. They found on their um, 250 patients, 17% had MR evidence of sacroiliitis, with 73% of those being bone marrow edema, which we know not to be very ultra-specific, but it is certainly as sensitive for uh, sacroiliitis. Um, and the question is, you know, do those patients have occult sacroiliitis? And they just don't know it. Um, patients who had sacroiliitis were more likely to be women, and we do know women often have a lot of occult disease that is not well recognized. They had back pain, not surprisingly, and they later and they had a later onset of their Crohn's disease. Um, and more importantly, or more than two thirds of these patients had uh, not ever seen a rheumatologist. So this sort of data goes along with a lot of other data. One that there's occult enteritis in patients with spondylitis. Hence, that's why we used to use sulfasalazine back in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, that women tend to present later um, and tend to present in non-classic uh, manner. Uh, and that, um, you know, the idea that patients with spondylitis may later get uh, enteritis, Crohn's disease, or ulceritis, we certainly know that if you follow enough overall. Now the exact opposite can be said. If you follow enough UC or, or, uh, or Crohn's patients, a significant number of them will manifest low back pain and um, sacroiliitis and, you know, some version of spondyloarthritis. Um, a nice study from the Japan registry looked at, it's an RA registry, looked at their um, 2,270 patients followed over a long period of time. And as a whole, all those RA patients in that registry had a gradual time-based decline in their GFR. RA, you wouldn't think itself, 
produces uh, a reduction in kidney function. Certainly, many of the drugs we use, notably non-steroidals, but a lot of other drugs we've used can have a renal risk to them. But this study is basically bold enough in saying that um, that the decline in uh, GFR was seen as a population over time, but that the patients who had the higher degrees of disease activity, as measured by DASH-28 CRPs, were the ones who had the greatest degree of GFR decline, and that slower rates were seen in patients who were in um, lower disease remission or low disease activity states. So I think that's something that reminds us that we should be vigilant in following renal function over time. I, you know, I see this all the time. Um, you know, patients got a creatinine one, 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 all of a sudden it's 1.3. And I'm asking the question, what happened? What drug did you take? What's your blood pressure doing? Have you gained weight? Is your diabetes a new thing? But in fact, it could be all of those things. It could even be just RA, something to consider going forward. I found this particular data bothersome, worrisome, surprising. Alcohol abuse worsens psoriasis. We know psoriasis patients have a lot of comorbidity. They have um, you know, a lot of obesity and depression issues. But in this particular prospective study of 266 patients, half of whom were, uh, uh, this is just psoriasis, half of whom were on biologics, other half with conventional therapy, that the poor outcomes were seen in patients who had the higher CAGE score. That's a measure of alcohol abuse. Um, and also with obesity and those who received conventional as opposed to um, more aggressive therapy. So maybe worth asking about. You know, um, there is a lot of alcohol abuse and even and suicide in psoriatics and spondoarthritis patients, something that we probably don't ask enough about. Uh, I put up a, a report this week about the potential of rituximab as therapy in patients with systemic sclerosis. Um, this one particular study in Lancet Rheumatology looked at um, an enrolled 80. They had 56 who they randomized to either receive a placebo or the usual dose of rituximab. And the primary endpoint in this study was a modified Rodman risk, uh, skin score, the MRSS. Again, as you know, there are many studies of, of drugs failing in scleroderma, mainly because they fail to treat the scleroderma, meaning they don't have benefit as far as skin outcomes. There are some new data with some new drugs, Ectemra and other therapies, uh, with regard to lung outcomes, and mainly just showing a stabilization of FVCs over time rather than a tr true significant improvement. So that's a small victory, and now wouldn't it be nice to have victories as far as the skin? Well, in this study of 56 patients, it was significant. Those that were on rituximab had a significant reduction in their Rodden skin scores of minus 6 uh, I don't know if you do those. That's a, I would call that a mild to moderate improvement in the overall skin thickening score versus a plus change in the placebo population. That was highly significant. Um, uh, an editorial by Dinesh Khanna and, uh, 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 and others called for the need for a much larger, better done study that would be international. There were also, we put up the results of a... Um, of a meta-analysis basically showing that there are studies that suggest that rituximab could be beneficial. Now, the mechanism by which that works sort of eludes me. You know, I think most of what's going on in, in scleroderma is microvascular ischemia that leads to all the things that we see, including dermal fibrosis, um, skin thickening, et cetera. Um, and, but B-cell-driven activity, I don't see as a prime driver, but then again, who knows anything 
about you know scleroderma. So uh, we do need more studies in scleroderma. This might be the beginning of what we should be seeing. What we are seeing going forward is more women in rheumatology. So uh, a nice uh, article, I think this is in um, the journal uh, Rheumatology. Um, no, it's actually in the Journal of Rheumatology. My, um, my apologies. Um, both two really good journals. Uh, and this particular study looked at, um, a, it's a, a, a Canadian study looking at the number of rheumatologists between 2000 and 2015. And in that time frame, the number of women entering the field of rheumatology as practitioners went from 27% to 42%. That's significant. At this point in time, we're at 50% or higher would be my guess. Women are taking over the world. We got to grapple with that. The interesting thing about their analyses was that men over women had more um, patients. They had larger practices. They had more clinic visits, 600 to 1,000 more clinic visits a year compared to women. And oh, yes, men were paid somewhere between uh, 40 and 100,000 more per year. So if you're paid based on the number of patients to see, maybe men are making the appropriate amount of salary and the same can go for women. But there's a big issue here. Women are dominating the rheumatology market space. Um, we need to have equality in compensation for the work that is done. That's highly important to both women and to men. Um, we do need to accommodate for women who want to have families, work part-time, and whatnot. They are the dominant workforce here. And, uh, and, and I've always hired a bunch of, of, of women rheumatologists to, to work with me. I would take them as half-time, 80% time, whatnot, because they're all fabulous. And I had more fabulous female candidates than male candidates. So that was a big part of my business model, and it worked out great for me over the many years. So I, I, I would call those of you who are program directors to, um, you know, work hard at developing uh, women who want to go into rheumatology. Um, those of you who are running practices, work hard at bringing women into the fold and developing um, financial models that are fair and equitable. And if you're a woman, start your own all-woman practice. Why not? They're you're going to be fair and equitable because you're all women and, and gender is not going to fall into how much you get paid. Hopefully it won't. Those of you who think I'm sucking up, you're right, I am, because I'm a minority. That's it for this week on the podcast. Go to the website, check out these citations and more. Next week we'll be on vacation. You'll be seeing the best of all week. We'll be back in two weeks. Enjoy. Enjoy.